Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, Morgan's Mentors, Morgan Neesmith will be talking with industry representatives about career challenges, mentor and mentee advice. In this episode, Hannah Izoni shares her thoughts on the responsibilities of both mentors and young professionals, along with the importance of staying open to opportunities. Welcome to DFI's podcast channel, Broadcasting Common Ground. I'm Morgan Neesmith, and it is time once again to move the needle with our podcast on mentorship and careers in the geotechnical world. This week, we're going to dive a little more deeply into mentorship and advocacy with a guest that I know is passionate about the topic because she told me so. Uh, That is not her only qualification, though. She is also a fellow DFI Presidential Award winner, so game, recognize game. Um, she is also the current vice chair of the best committee in DFI. That would be the Archicast file committee. And she is the technical co-chair for the upcoming 2022 DFI annual conference in National Harbor. A geostructural designer for Keller. Welcome, Hannah Iazoni. And Morgan, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to be here. Uh, now, I have had the opportunity to get to know you pretty well over the last few years, but for those uh, of our listeners who haven't, could you tell us a little bit about your background, uh, where you're from, and your professional development prior to joining uh, Keller? Sure. So I am uh, born and raised in Pennsylvania. I grew up in uh, the Poconos, kind of rural town. I switched from the country to the city to go to college. I went to Northwestern for my civil engineering undergraduate degree. And there I discovered geotechnical engineering with the Hayward Baker crew out in Chicago. I interned with them twice. And then after graduation, transferred out to Denver to work full time. Uh, After a little bit there, I decided to go to grad school and get my master's degree in civil engineering from the University of Colorado. I then got a job with GEI to try out the consulting side of things, did some dam engineering, and then transferred within GEI out to the Philadelphia office to do contractor support work. Um, in Philadelphia. After a few years of working in consulting, I wanted to get back to contracting. So I tried project management of a ground improvement for a little bit with geostructures and then decided to switch back to the design work with Keller in 2020. Awesome. We appreciate it. So let's dive right into the topic at hand. Uh, Looking back over that development, roughly how many mentors would you consider that you've had and, and were these formal and informal relationships and in particular, any informal relationships, if you could talk about how those developed. I've had a handful of informal mentors over the years. I feel like mentoring more recently has become in vogue, and I now have a formal mentor within Keller, and then I'm involved with the Women in Deep Foundation group mentoring pods that I helped start. Um, But over the years, I've had those informal mentors, peers, and you know, people who are older than me that helped guide me through the industry and, and find my path. Um, my first real mentor was in Chicago. I met her at the ASCE dinners and she would sh- see me show up all by myself trying to find more about the industry and, and really just find a job. And uh, she found me and introduced herself and then introduced me to everybody else there and um, took it on herself to take me out to dinner and listen to my career aspirations and give me advice. And she's been someone I've been able to turn to over the years when I've had a question on how to handle something in my uh, professional life. Um, I've also never really been one to hesitate to reach out to strangers and ask them questions. So uh, I've 
you know, felt comfortable with people that I've met through DFI, just reaching out and asking that career question. And sometimes that's led to more uh, informal mentorship programs. Um, and now that I'm at Keller, Keller has a formal uh, mentorship program and I've been assigned to Tanner Blackburn, which I feel very fortunate to get to spend some time with him every few weeks, just talking about my formal development as an engineer within Keller. That sounds fantastic. Um, I personally remember you walking into the AugerCast Pile Committee for the first time and jumping right in and being involved. And that is interesting because I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but one of the topics I specifically wanted to talk about with you because we have had these conversations and we haven't really touched on it with some of our other guests. And that's we have mentorship, but we also have advocacy. And what I would like for you to do, to do if you don't mind, is talk to our uh, audience about uh, what the difference between those two are and why they're important. I view the two as uh, like an input-output dichotomy. Mentorship, I view as you know, an, a young engineer or a young person in their career taking in advice and guidance and information on how to make the best decisions for one's career yourself. Um, I see advocacy as a uh, young engineer more as that young engineer student speaking up about how things that are important now that upper management might not be aware of or understand the importance of the young engineers speaking up and educating um, those who have come before them about how the world is changing and uh, better ways to support the younger generation that's coming in. So mentorship is like taking that advice and figuring out how to apply it to your current situation. And advocacy is trying to change the environment around you to best fit yourself. Interesting. Um, and while we're talking about that, what I'd like to do is look at both sides of the coin. And I kind of do go back to meeting you for the first time. Uh, and it was very obvious that you were very willing to be involved. That made it easy to get you involved. And that's where there's an interesting relationship. I think companies have certainly changed over the last two decades. There was a very much a, we're going to send you out on site, best of luck. Uh, if you don't like it in this industry, well, there's something else you can go to. And I think companies have realized now that uh, their younger engineers expect guidance, mentorship, training, whatever we want to call that. And they also are realizing the benefits of it. Um, at the same time, it, let's say if I have you over for dinner or I have someone over for dinner, I'm going to cook. I'm going to set the table, uh, but I'm probably not going to cut your food. So where is that balance of what uh, a young engineer should expect from a company in terms of that sort of guidance or leadership, but also what characteristics do they need to be bringing from, to the table, do you think, for their success? I think that young engineers definitely need to bring to the table that a work ethic, the willingness to show up early and do what is needs to get done for the job, especially with an understanding of that you're going into construction and you know, that is what the company is paying you to fill a role that they need in order to complete the project and build the owner. And um, there's a certain amount of, you know, exchange there. You have to be willing to do the work that is needed of you. I do think that management can help support engineers uh, and, and young people in their profession by, you know, effectively managing them in their role. I think we have a, an issue sometimes where people who are very technically proficient 
wind up in roles where they're managing a bunch of people. And that is a completely different skill set that needs to be appreciated for the differences from a technical skill set that it is. Um, I think that, you know, management providing clear and concise descriptions of the expectations of the performance metrics, uh, indications of success and failure, and laying that out clearly for the field engineers and for the young people in their role, whatever it may be, uh, that is, is a way to get more success out of uh, your younger staff. I think that I, having been thrown out in the field and, and be told, figure it out, there's definitely a lot that you can learn from that. And I think there's ways that you can do both the figuring out and also this is what a field engineer, you know, is and, and what the role is and how you're helping the company and, and how you're helping the project manager, or the superintendent on site um, and doing that in more of a, a broad scale. I think sometimes that lack of direction and guidance leaves people to spin their wheels or feel like they're not a part of the team and uh, especially if your your plan is to throw people out in the field far away from home and, and rural areas away from you know a lot of things that they're familiar with, uh, providing a little bit of guidance of this is why you're here and this is how you're helping me can be really uh, beneficial. I also think as you know our industry has a huge um, gap right now in the, the incoming number of qualified professionals and and the roles you know both in the craft and um, office roles, we're gonna get people who have don't know anything about the field. I think for a long time, there's been a lot of people, I mean, like you yourself, you you come from a family of people who've participated in this industry. And so there was a certain level of understanding that you had about what you're walking into. My family had nothing to do with construction. And so when I walked on that first job site, I had no idea <laughs> what I was doing. Fortunately, I'd been working since a young age at bakeries and Burger King and a grocery store. And I knew you just show up on time and you do what they ask you to do. Uh, and that'll, that at least meets, you know, the, the requirements of the job. But if a manager can give a little more guidance and understanding, and then as that, the field engineer develops, you know, providing a, an outline, a clear line of progression, where you can go with this position and how, I think will help younger uh, members of the profession stay more involved and, and have an idea of, you know, when I'm learning this skill, what, what am I gonna do with it 10 years from now? Uh, I appreciate all of that. And I'm glad you touched on some of the different roles that an engineer may move into as they progress, because I think I'm hearing more and more really good conversations in the last couple of years about not all engineers need to be the same. We all have different skills, and instead of just slotting someone into a defined role, finding out what those people are good for or good at, um, and helping uh, expand on that, uh, I think gives companies a lot more flexibility. Um, I do want to stay on the topic of the side of the younger engineers for a minute. Um, we have talked specifically about um, the importance early in your career to staying open to opportunities. And one of my uh, concerns sometimes that I see with some young engineers is that they, maybe they can be overwhelmed or maybe they're just a little bit scared of the unknown. I get it, I've been there, um, but I, I do worry that you can do that too much and then not take an opportunity that you really don't know how that opportunity is gonna blossom. Um, so taking that chance, uh, maybe it's a location change or a job change. Going back through your experience, 
Um, can you talk a little bit about how taking a chance that you really didn't necessarily know how it was going to work out, but it ended up paying dividends that you might not have been able to predict beforehand? I try to tell this to all the students that I talk to is you really have no idea where any of these decisions that you're making are going to take you. And I, I do get that feeling, especially having been one of those students 10 years ago, that even now a lot of the students, they, they want to make the best decision they possibly can make and choose the right career and the right company to work for the best people in the best office. And I, I totally understand that. Like you, you don't want to make a bad decision. Um, but the reality is, if you are graduating with a civil engineering degree here in this country, uh, you're probably in a, a relative position of privilege that you're going to have a solid career path. You might not always be doing what you want to do, but you're definitely, you have a technical degree in a, a field that's always going to need you. Um, and beyond that, beyond, you know, being employed and paying your bills and you get to decide what success means for yourself. You're the only, like you as an individual are the only arbitrator of what the best decision is. And I think that's hard for students that have had everything laid out in such a nice line of the, these are the goalposts. And then you get out of school and it's like, we just took the goalposts down and let you wander into the woods. And now you get to pick the best path. And that can be, um, I think it could be overwhelming. And I, I definitely see students are still trying to, what's the best project and what's the best way, what skill do I need to get that'll take me in the best way? And the reality is like, there aren't really a lot of wrong decisions that you can make. And so that's, I, I tell students to just, if it, if it makes sense with your finances, with your family, with where you are in life, um, to jump on any opportunity, because you have no idea where, it, you know, it could take you in the craziest of places. Um, so part of how I got to Philly from Denver working at GEI, I was in, I wasn't too happy with the damn engineering work, but I was just plugging away at it. And uh, I, I remember it was a Friday, an email went around to the whole company looking for anybody with grouting experience to be, they had to be in Johnson City, Tennessee uh, on Monday. And there were just not a lot of people who could take that uh, chance or had that experience. And I lucked out that my internship at Hayward Baker was damn grouting. And I was not really enjoying the historical reports that I was assembling. And I was in a good place in my life that I said, I'll go, like I'll fly tomorrow to Tennessee. Uh, there was, it was not clearly defined. It was definitely one of those, it was just tossed out there and you figure it out. The project manager, he'll be along in a few days to let you know what you're gonna do. And I ended up getting involved with the contractor support group and the guys who work in Philly and learning about uh, dam grouting on that scale and, and the bidding of that project. and help uh, try to chase that, that grouting project, which was a really awesome experience. And then ended up transferring to Philly to work more with those guys because it was more in line with where I wanted my career uh, to be. But I had no idea that saying yes on that Friday afternoon was gonna lead to this whole dramatic shift in my career. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I took a job in the Middle East just so I could travel a lot, not really for the work and ended up living in Holland, the Netherlands for five years in the most formative years of my early career in terms of uh, my technical growth. That was not the plan at all. Um, and it turned out to be uh, an amazing opportunity. I'm also really happy um, that you touched on uh, the idea that things are always gonna change. So I think 
the con this idea that you can stay in the safe place well that that safe place is going to change regardless of whether you change your position or not people are going to leave around you other people are going to come in the company is going to start doing different things so I, I appreciate that you also touched on on that that just because you decide not to take an opportunity because you don't think it's safe just staying put is not necessarily safe either so um Going back to now your specific role uh, with Keller uh, as a geostructural designer, we've talked to some academics, consultants. You and I both have some background in the consulting world, uh, but now we both work for um, specialty construction companies. If you look at working for a specialty construction company, foundations, ground improvement, what, what have you, um, is there any advice that you would give to a student in terms of what they really need to be focusing on if that's of particular interest. I am interested if you think you definitely need a master's degree. I have my own opinions about that. <laughs> and also my favorite question actually is, should everyone, even if you're really interested in construction, work at a consultancy uh, once in their life at least for a, a significant period of time? Yeah, so first I'll go with the, the master's degree. I, I don't think, I'm actually a believer that not everyone needs all the education that we're handing out. Uh, I think that the trades are very important. Um, I think that it's, you, you don't necessarily need a four-year formal education and then to take that, you know, and, and get those, that extra year or two of, of a master's degree. I do think that if, you know, the geotechnical, you learn a lot in that, that year or two that adds to your geotechnical knowledge, or if you're in another uh, civil field, you know, civil undergrad is very broad and this really helps, you know, refine that. But I think if you look at where, you know, kids go from graduating, even with just with their bachelor's or with their master's, like how many of them are in the field 10 years later? You know, that's a whole nother issue with uh, retention in the industry that we have to deal with. But I, I think the reality is, you know, you, how many of those people go on to be like you and I, technical professionals like every day dealing with soil mechanics and, and all that. I think you can have an understanding of civil engineering and construction and, and how in infrastructure works and then be an amazing project manager that really helps get the projects moving along or you go into business development, or um, you, you learn on the job, you learn you know, that knowledge. I, I understand that I, uh, they're trying to push more of our, our professional engineers to be, to get their master's degree. And I, you know, I think there's a give and a take there with like licensure should, is very important. And I do think there's some minimum bars for certain things, but not everyone needs to have, you know, meet these bars. Um, like I, I took, the SE last year and I failed it miserably, but I, <laughs> I think that's good. It, so, yeah. I think it's good. I'm, I'm content. I was content to fail it because I, you know, I don't have that, that skill set there. And um, so, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't think that you need it in the same way that, you know, the, the students are trying to make the best choice that they can make They're They feel like that's the best choice. Like I can just keep going on. And I've been on the other side of the hiring process where you hear, well, they have a master's. So like that somehow automatically grants them this 
magical power that is not always there. Um, so I think if, if you look at how the industry is going, you probably need a master's just because everybody's kind of on the same page. But I think in reality, you don't actually need it. Um, I do think if you do end up going to get your master's, I, I recommend this to students is like getting using that opportunity to do research, even if that's not something that you think you're going to do. That's a really great chance to get someone to pay for your degree and uh, <laughs> and to learn how to that technical writing and the, the data collection. It's just a nice skill to obtain that you might never really get that chance to do that. So I think that's um, that's really valuable. Working for a consultant, I think there is some, I think all of us who have worked for consultants, like we, our number one thing of why we don't work for a consultant anymore is we didn't want to fill out a timesheet. And I hated filling out a timesheet, but I, I do think there's a lot of value in understanding how you spend your time, given that a lot of, you know, in, in modern day society and, and our, you know, with how our economy is structured, we sell our, our time in hour increments and understanding what you can do in an hour um, helps you understand the business side of it better. I think there's a, you know, that's a nice skill to have. Um, but I think like if you were, and I, if students are trying to figure out, should I go work for a contractor for the next five years or a consultant, especially right out of school, I'm always like, go spend that time in the field. And I, people disagree with me on this one, but I believe that you can learn the design stuff later. You might not have an aptitude for it, but if you don't have an aptitude for it at 30, you probably didn't have it at 22 either. So uh, that field stuff, you can, I think you can learn a lot about how the whole construction industry fits together. Uh, and then if you really are interested and want to go for it, then you can get the master's, then you can uh, hunt down the design stuff and it can be hard to sell yourself to a consultant sometimes uh, to go learn the de design side of it later. But I think that field experience is just really invaluable and, and difficult to do as you get older and you know your personal life settles down a little more. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it was a great answer. And I like really that it ties back nicely into Again, that conversation we had earlier about the different types of engineers. Maybe if you're a little more technical minded, you want to go in a certain path. Maybe if you want to go into a little more project management, it's not necessarily worth. And like you said, getting out into the field and just learning the process of how construction works on a real day to day basis, if not on paper, uh, can be hugely important. Um, all right, at this point, it's time. We're gonna take a very brief break and then we'll be right back with Hannah Iazoni. Hello, listeners. I'm Teresa Engler, Executive Director of the Deep Foundations Institute. And wow, so many great nuggets of information in the discussion today on Morgan's Mentors. Hope you found them useful. If you're a student or young professional, I want to specifically speak to you about getting involved with DFI so you can connect and interact with these experienced professionals and learn even more from them and their colleagues. DFI provides free membership for students and that membership allows you to join one of our many technical committees, attend events at a very low fee or no fee at all, and also access valuable technical resources such as free downloadable papers and manuals 
our journal and magazine at DFI.org, as well as other technical documents from the geotechnical mining and tunneling world at OneMind.org. For young professionals, an individual membership is very affordable, and if your company is a corporate member of DFI, they may be able to include you under their annual dues, so ask your supervisor. Other activities you may be interested in are, are our annual paper competitions for students and young professors. These provide each winner with a $1,000 travel stipend, free registration to DFI's annual conference, two nights of lodging, a presentation spot during the conference, and the opportunity to have the paper published in the DFI journal. We also offer scholarships and Women in Deep Foundation's professional development grants through our charitable arm, the DFI Educational Trust. To date, we've provided over $1.6 million to over 450 students and professionals. Why not be one of them and apply? Information on all these programs, resources, and activities can be viewed at DFI.org. We look forward to welcoming you, and if you have any questions, shoot an email to staff at DFI.org. Now, back to Morgan and his guest mentor. All right, we are back, and I want to thank Hannah again for joining us today. But before we go, Hannah, there's one last question that we will be asking everyone who joins us. If you could interview anyone, living or not, for this podcast, who would that be and why? You know, Morgan, I thought long and hard about this question, and I really would love to interview you and find out more about this career and your time in Holland and in Saudi Arabia and, um, and in Georgia and everywhere in the country and how you've come to your role here at Berkeley. I would love to learn more about you. Uh, I'm flattered, but and I, I, I can appreciate, though, that it's been really interesting for me getting to pick who I wanted to talk to um, and really ask uh, some questions of those particular people and uh, just people that I, I find really interesting and are bringing a lot to the industry. So I'm, I'm very flattered that you would potentially include me in that group. All right. Well, fantastic. Thanks again, Hannah. And for all of you out there, we appreciate you listening as well. And we look forward to joining us again on future episodes as we talk to more of Morgan's mentors. Until then, remember, the truth will send a ripple through your body. On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views, information, and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcasts are solely those of the individuals involved do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Proudly sponsored by Dan Brown and Associates. Thanks for your time. Keep on surviving.